You. Who's Betty Grable going with? Cesar Romero. Shut up. Who's the dragon lady? She's in Terry and the Pirates. What's a hot rod? The hopped-up jalopy. Hello, Joe. What do you know? Just got back from a vaudeville show. <laughs> I guess they're okay. Thank you, Sergeant. A PFC major, praying for civilian. That's why I believe in being careful. May I suggest, sir, that you study up on baseball? Yeah, I guess I'd better. And by the way, you might tell your buddy that Cesar Romero is out. She's married to Harry James. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week, we watched the fourth film in the 1949 nominees, Battleground. And I hated this movie, David. I hated it. I hated it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I started doing the math on when we can bingle Lancer things again. Because we took a break. Yes. And so the math is a little bit complicated. And I feel like we've sort of had this unspoken agreement of trying to make it to like 2022. Yes. And then starting the bingle Lancer clause up again. And I don't think we're going to bingle Lancer this movie because there is something to say. But I was so bored by this movie. So bored. Oh, the most interesting thing that happened to me watching this movie is in the middle of this movie, there's a very small scene where a Jeep comes through with some other American troops after some German troops have come through uh, pretending to be Americans and gotten through the line. And so they're all on guard for German turncoat spies, basically. And they do this exchange about, like, how much do you know about baseball? To try and figure out if the other people are Germans or not. And it took me about 15 minutes to remember they play that clip in the Ken Burns baseball documentary. (laughs) Just the full scene to talk about how much people like baseball. That was exciting for you. I haven't seen the thing, so... Yeah, that was the most interesting thing that happened in this movie. So the overwhelming reason why I think this movie is super boring... Well, no, that's not true. It's badly written. It's poorly cast. It's not well directed. There's a lot of reasons it's boring that have nothing to do with this. But what was very frustrating about it is there will come to be like... 10,000 of this type of movie, most of them made by Steven Spielberg, (laughs) (laughs) and they will be so much better than this. But also, looking back on the war movies that we have watched for Screen Test of Time, starting with Wings, we have seen better war movies than this. And that was the first year they had the Oscar. (laughs) I sort of feel like this movie is a disaster because it is trying to be a war movie about the chaos of war. And whenever it succeeds in that, you don't know what the fuck is going on. And whenever it doesn't succeed in that, it's just this hollow propaganda exercise where you just have no emotional attachment to these people whatsoever. You literally can't tell them apart except for there's one really fucking obnoxious guy who is the absolute spitting image of Spencer Tracy. I don't know what his job or role is. I think at one point he ends up being some... He's not actually a sergeant, but he's acting sergeant or something. Yes. I. Here is what I think happens in this movie. Go right ahead, David. 
<laughs> so there are a bunch of guys. They're about to get involved in the Battle of the Bulge. The movie tries to introduce you all to their one specific quirk, but I honestly didn't get anybody's quirk except for Ricardo Montalban is in this movie, and he is a recognizable human being. And so he was my North Star until he died 50 minutes into the movie. Right, and about 30 seconds into his performance. <laughs> Yeah, he really is not given a lot to do. I think this movie is trying to do a rug pull thing where there's a guy who's like a big all-American, very broad-shouldered, literally plays football in the first scene you see of him, like man's man, and he's the commanding officer. And then about halfway into the movie, he gets taken out by a mortar shell and cut rate Spencer Tracy takes over the unit. Yes. And I think that's supposed to be a rug pull, but I can't tell any of these fucking dudes apart, so I don't really care that much. They then spend the entire movie going, God, we need supplies. God, we need supplies. God, we need supplies. We're dying out here. Supplies are airdropped. I think that makes things better. But I can't really tell because then the movie is over because they're sent back off of the front lines. And the concluding thing is like a new round of Jerry's are getting sent to the front lines and America wins the war and they're all part of the same. Like this movie is at weird cross purposes because I think it's its most interesting and most effective when its message is like war is utterly chaotic and the machinery of war is invisible to the people that fight it. And so it is just this shithole of sitting literally in a hole with your shit in it, yes, waiting to die. But it doesn't really know how to make that dramatically interesting. And so what it tries to make dramatically interesting is like, also the machinery of war is great and we beat the Nazis and like America. And you're like, but, well, but that's <laughs> totally at odds with the other thing. Well, and it's trying to do the, for lack of a better term, and I don't specifically mean to invoke the much better media property about the 101st Airborne, but the Band of Brothers thing. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, look at these disparate people from different walks of life in the United States and they come together and they become brothers despite their differences because they are united against the Nazis and they become family and love one another. It thinks it's making that movie and it's not because... It's just not written. It's not in the text. Yeah. The actors aren't good enough to pick up that ball and run with it. Because sometimes you see that, right? Where you're like, oh, man, on the page, there is nothing distinguishable about these people at all. Toward the beginning, there's like short guy and all-American hero new guy. And they have a little exchange where you think, oh, this is going to be their defining relationship and like them becoming friends. And right. they're going to be our anchor. Short guy seems yeah. to be sort of Italian from New York and tall blonde guy seems to be so-and-so from a Kansas cornfield. And then no, you don't even get that. And the archetypical thing that is, I think, often so necessary in a film where you're trying to do the Band of Brothers thing or where you're subverting it, like in Full Metal Jacket, is it relies either on a very well-written script with a director who is like, no, 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 remember, Bill is always joking or Tom is always longing for his girl or whatever. That's not here. Or it requires actors who have defined their character so much outside of the page that it's fine that you know who these people are. 
And this doesn't happen in this movie at all. (laughs) I am going to ever so slightly disagree with you. This movie sucks. I agree with you on that. They do not effectively do this thing. I actually weirdly think it is there on the page. Everybody does have a gimmick. Do they? Yeah. Is it introduced once and then never again? (laughs) Well, except for there's asshole Spencer Tracy, who is just an asshole all the time. Actually, asshole Spencer Tracy is the worst example because he has three different gimmicks. And so I'm like, is that a different guy? Is asshole Spencer Tracy different from the guy that gets promoted to leadership? Is different from the guy who just is weirdly attached to stealing eggs? Is different from the guy that wants to have it? Like, they give him too many gimmicks. Is he the one who's always chewing tobacco? Right. There's, like, then there's other ones where <laughs> I'm actually, their gimmick I'm, is... I'm genuinely asking, is he? No. I don't... Okay. Mm, I... Mm. I'm not sure. <laughs> Because that's the other way this sucks, right? Is that some of the gimmicks are that simple. Some of the gimmicks are like, there's the guy that laughs awkwardly. And you're like, that's not, that's nothing. You can't do that. That's not a personality trait. (laughs) There's the guy who used to be a reporter. Okay, yeah, there is the guy who used to be a reporter. But unless he's literally talking about the news, I don't know which one he is. For sure. At any given time. The best example of the one that has a clearly defined gimmick that I cannot fucking tell apart unless they're doing their gimmick actively is the guy who has a catchphrase he's trying to make happen. (laughs) And unless he is literally saying that catchphrase, I don't fucking remember anything about him. Cannot tell his face apart from anyone. Do not know a damn thing about it. Oh, there's the guy who doesn't like to sleep in his boots in the trench. And at one point, the guy who sleeps next to him in the trench throws his boots out of the trench, which results in the guy who doesn't like to wear his boots getting shot during combat because he tries to reach for his boots so he can get out and then gets shot and then there's this incredibly embarrassing quote-unquote tragic moment where he just goes mama 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 like 10 times and then dies yeah. like that's a shtick he doesn't like to wear his boots in the trench the thing is not only do i not know which one of them that is I know the guy who throws his boots out better, and I don't know who he is either. (laughs) Yeah, I think, like, the thing I'm trying to get at is none of these actors connect the gimmick to the character at all. They just go like, oh, yes, I do a gimmick, and then I'm otherwise just a rando. Like, I'm otherwise just a guy whose motivation is I'm in the army. Yes. The script gives them a hook. Not the best hooks in the world. Not really standing up for this as, like, a secret masterpiece of screenwriting. But, like, they do have things in the script to differentiate them. But everybody treats those things as, like, ah, this is the goddamn business of the scene I've got to do before I get back to just being stoic army boy 17. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody gives a shit about their gimmick. Stoic army boy 17. God, that's so accurate, though. Yeah, I mean, no one gives a shit about their character, and as a result, I don't give a shit about their character. No. There's a guy who gets injured, and I'm supposed to be really moved by that. There's the guy who has the boots and calls out for his mom when he dies, and I'm supposed to be really moved by that. I don't care, honestly. There is one part of this movie that I think is actually quite good, Uh, and I think this goes back to what you were saying about how when this movie focuses on 
the chaos of war, it is best. And I think actually this is where the intersection of like the chaos of war and raw, raw patriotism come together is when they have this chaplain who comes to visit Mm. and he doesn't even have boots on. He has his feet wrapped up in like blankets or something. And he comes to give like a quick prayer. And he says something about, did we have to come here? Was this a necessary errand for us to come to Europe? And yes, we had to because the Nazis are bad and they killed millions of people and they're killing millions of people. And the fight against fascism makes it worth it. And never again can we have a group of people who want to declare themselves the master race. And it's much more moving than how I'm putting it. And we've never seen this fucking guy before, not once. And I'm near tears at this speech. He's the best actor in the movie. Oh my God. Like he comes from a different universe. He is so much better. And then we have people I've spent two hours with die. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that sucks anyway. The other weird thing about him is I think it is a combination of he is given some more characterization. And again, he's the best actor in the movie. And so you get a sense of like this guy's life outside of the single scene he is in. Yes. There are other people that I watch for in this movie for I don't know, 20 times as long as that guy is on screen. And I have absolutely no sense of what their life, when they're not on screen, I I have no sense of a single moment of that. Right. And I do think that that stretch of the movie, because there's sort of a part where the conflict dies down and you get the closest thing to a thesis statement this movie has, because there's a guy that was running away or you thought he was running away and it turned out he was going to get help. And there was this moment where a lot of people, and again, this movie is so fucking confusing, so I don't really have a full sense of who, but that a lot of people were sort of gripped by fear and cowardice and were trying to run away or thinking of running away. Right. And they are reflecting on that. And one of the characters just goes, yeah, you don't make rational decisions. Shit just happens and you try and figure out why afterward. And I went, oh, that's actually what this movie is trying to say. It's not doing a very good job outside of someone literally saying that out loud. Right. (laughs) But that's what this movie is trying to say. Yes. And then that stretch from that to the chaplain creating a argument for, hey, this is all chaos and terrible, but we have to do this because the Nazis are that fucking bad is the best stretch of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the best stretch of the movie, but it's, I think, generously 10 minutes, and I don't really know how long anything lasts in this movie either. If you asked me how long any stretch of this movie was, I would be like, I don't know, about 10 minutes. No idea. Yeah. There's just so many better movies that do the things that this movie is trying to do. And I think part of it is actually that it doesn't know what it's trying to do, that it is trying to do too many things. And no single film is going to give you the entire experience of war or even a specific war or even a specific battle. And the battle of the bulge was so long that my God, like there's no way. And it's very directionless. Its tone is very fucking weird. Like, what is its message? Does it even really know? Oh, and also, I forgot about this part pretty early on where the boys are all in a truck and they stop in some French town and 
two little girls come up and are like, can we have cigarettes or chewy gum? Cigarettes for our mom? Bubble gum, please? And then a woman comes out of a building and every single one of these, I don't know, eight to 40 dudes, because <laughs> who knows? Because I can't tell who was who ever. Wolf whistles and harasses this woman for what feels like a full five minutes, but probably is actually yeah. 60 seconds. But that's still a really long time. And I'm supposed to be like, oh, look at those boys being boys. And like, I almost jumped out of my fucking skin vicariously with how uncomfortable that made me. And this is one woman on an empty street who is being like fully fucking harassed by a convoy full of soldiers. I think that's a great example of how this movie does too many fucking things at once. Because she comes back a couple of times and then is tragically killed in a bombing where you go, I think she just died, which is sort of how everyone dies in this movie. Very close. But there is a almost through line when she appears where there's one guy who's very upset all the time that everybody in occupied territory that they come through is trying to get money out of them, trying to get supplies out of them, trying to get stuff from them. Mm -hmm. And then the reporter guy is like, yeah, that's because their lives have been fucking miserable chaos for fucking years. Yep. Like, we need to pay attention to the trauma of these people and do something about it. And then that's just dropped entirely. Nothing ever fucking happens with that conflict. There's It isn't resolved in any way. I'm not sure if either of those guys survive to the end of the movie. Like no it, idea. <laughs> it's just two points of view that are just stated directly and then dropped completely. And that's kind of everybody's gimmick, everybody's theme, everybody's everything in this movie is people just go like, this is a thing about war, and then drop that forever. And, uh. I think it's very well summed up, too, in the title of this film, because it's so fucking generic. Yeah. Battleground. Through the airborne, and they were like, we're gonna just call it Battleground, it's fine. I have not watched Band of Brothers in a very long time, so I had forgotten this is literally the same story as Band of Brothers. Yes, so, like, just watch Band of Brothers. Oh, for for sure. (laughs) The too long didn't read of this entire episode. (laughs) Just watch Band of Brothers. Because Band of Brothers does a really good job of creating conflict within the unit and then having the unit pull together from this terrible experience. Whereas in this, the biggest conflict within the unit is one guy has a catchphrase and another guy doesn't like that catchphrase. (laughs) That is the biggest conflict among the American troops. And so when things keep getting worse for them, it's just like, God, this is a lot of shit that's happening to these guys. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, this is a defining moment in their life. They're figuring out who they are from this, which is sort of the way that the chaos of that doesn't feel like chaos in Band of Brothers. Right. That is about how like that was all chaotic and you had no control over anything except yourself. But this movie forgets about the except yourself part. 
And so there's absolutely nothing to hold on to when the chaos of war shit starts happening. Oh, absolutely. I'm almost like, let's rate this movie and make this our shortest episode in a while. I'm totally fine with that. The only thing that I want to add is films that we have watched already that are war films that are better than this. Because mm. obviously the whole idea of the podcast is, does this stand the screen test of time? Is it still as good today as it was when it came out and was lauded with you don't even have to win an Oscar. It's still a celebration of the film and a and a It's an honor just to be nominated. Exactly. Yes. And like that's a cliche, but it's also true. You yeah. know, I mean there were tons of movies that came out every year and they picked five and said, These are the five best. And like this movie fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but there were some genuinely really, really good war films that we have watched already that came out before this. And I mean, I will go to bat for wings. I know that you didn't love love it but you didn't hate it no and like i've definitely come around on wings as at least being interesting cinematography versus some of the other war films that we've watched that are rah-rah patriotism i think it will still suffer from the comparison but i do almost want to limit us to movies like wings that are like our fighting boys over there they're winning the war and not like the grand illusion because like okay yeah. but see that is a war movie that picks a message sticks to it follows four guys all of whom are very well developed yes doesn't try to do like an entire unit or the entire prison that they're in it has its message it tells its message it tells its story and it's interesting, whereas this is like the most watered down, here was every boy's experience at war story, you know? Really, I think what I'm trying to say is that even for a kind of propaganda-ish movie, like, I think Wake Island does a better job of characterization than this movie does. Oh, no question. <laughs> Which is wild. The thing about this movie versus Wake Island is I didn't know who half the guys were in Wake Island, but the ones I did know, I kept knowing to the end of the movie. And with this movie, I kept going like, oh, I guess this is the football one. And then forgetting again who anybody was until <laughs> they performed their gimmick again. And I would go, oh, right, this is the one that says that's for sure, that's for damn sure. And that's his only salient feature. Wings definitely falls into that category of our boys over there winning. Yeah. All Quiet on the Western Front is boys over there suffering. <laughs> yeah. I think that I have a personal preference toward movies like All Quiet on the Western Front, like Grand Illusion, that essentially say... Even necessary wars are just absolute chaos for the people inside of them, and we only try and make a narrative out of that. Like, explicitly, the Grand Illusion is trying to make any kind of narrative out of war is folly. There's no, there's no fucking point. That's just a thing you do afterwards to make yourself feel better. Yes. And this movie frustrates me so much because it headpakes toward doing that thing I like, and then goes... Yeah, but actually this is just like a propaganda reel about how great we were at the Battle of the Bulge. And it's like, well, but no, you can't, you cannot do both. But it doesn't even show how great we were at the Battle of the Bulge. That's the really frustrating thing. It ends up doing neither. What did we do that was all that impressive? If this was the only document I had, I would be like, well, how did we even win? Yeah, 
Yeah, it ends up doing neither by trying to do both things. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any that we've watched that are like rah-rah patriotism that I've liked. I mean, a lot of them are better. Yeah. Like Wake Island. (laughs) I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm sort of in the same boat. I guess I'm really just talking about Wake Island, which is even giving this movie the handicap of... This movie's intention is to be a propaganda film about we did a great job in World War II and our soldiers were so brave and God bless our troops. Does Mrs. Miniver count? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Even doing that, I think Wake Island, a movie made in like seven months, is, is doing a better job than this movie is doing. And that... That sucks. Yep. Yeah, it sucks. And you know what? I think the thing that bothers me the most... Is I don't feel like I got enough gags. And I was promised guts, gags, and glory of a lot of wonderful guys. And all I got out of that was a lot of and guys. Yeah, I've got to say, <laughs> we turned out to be surprisingly prescient talking about how gags are just a word for shitty jokes. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. When a joke fails, then it's a gag. This movie had a lot of gags. Sure did. Didn't have any jokes, but quite a few gags. Oh, don't watch this movie and three? No, two. 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 Yeah, two. Don't watch this movie and two. I'm flirting with a one because of that horrific street harassment scene that basically was like fully triggering. But, you know, two, yeah, fine, whatever. I fucking hate this movie so much, I don't even care what it's graded. <laughs> yeah, like, my two is basically just that Ricardo Montalban is allowed to play a non-white man, and he doesn't die for being a non-white man. <laughs> That's true, and he gets to do the thing which I've actually seen people from Los Angeles do, which when they see snow for the first time, they are so fucking excited, and everybody else is like, dude, it is cold and wet, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't care! Yeah. And that's sweet. Yeah. And the speech about how, like, we should always fight against fascism and it's always worth it was pretty moving. Yeah, let's not talk about this movie anymore. Don't watch it. Watch Band of Brothers. Let's watch another fucking war movie. Because next up... 12 o'clock high next week. That's what we're watching, which is about the United States Army's 8th Air Force. Fun fact, my grandfather was in the United States Army's 9th Air Force band. (laughs) Which is not at all related to this, except for the fact that it was you know world war ii and they were both air force units yeah this movie has a very brief mention that like the 101st airborne's mission in the battle of the bulge is essentially to protect an extremely important supply line that the front is so long that actually supply line became kind of the most important thing and that's the closest you get to understanding what the fuck is going on in this movie but also that was what my grandfather was doing was commandeering uh like railroad lines and running things across the supply line during the battle of the bulge so i was just like oh that there's daddy tom off screen running trains not that way though um yeah i mean my grandfather was in the ninth air force band so like yeah (laughs) slightly less guts gads and glory I guess, than this movie promises, at least. Yeah, but he did get to play the parade for the liberation of Paris, so that's pretty cool. And otherwise, if he had not been able to play the saxophone, he was going to be the guy who sits at the back of the plane waiting to get shot, basically. Yeah. (laughs) 
So yeah, next week we are watching a movie about neither of our grandfathers <laughs> called 12 O'Clock High and starring Gregory Peck. So it's a coin flip as to whether or not the movie will, will be good, but at least there will be one actor who is totally committed. <laughs> and we will definitely know who he is. There will be a good actor in this movie, and I've got to say from the publicity shot of Gregory Peck in a World War II airman's uniform, I think you're in for a treat, Susan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not necessarily my thing, but I feel like it's going to work for you. You know, I'm not really that into the whole guys in uniform thing, but I am into the guys in bomber jackets thing. So yeah, it's going to be a treat for me. I figured you were in for the Gregory Peck in basically anything thing. Yes, well, yes, and that. <laughs> At least like late 40s Gregory Peck, where we have previously stated he is illegally handsome. Yes, that is true. Yeah, it is against the law. <laughs> This is actually what the whole, like, Hollywood commission was about. It was like, oh, that Gregory Peck is too handsome. This must be a communist plot. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So, yeah, tune in next week to see <laughs> if I am way too horny on this podcast. <laughs> and until then. Yeah, I mean, I guess this was a movie. No, I don't know what this was. It was too confusing to have any judgment. It was confusing enough to even earn not a movie. Like, I don't. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no. <laughs> This sucked. Yeah. Full stop. Full stop. <sighs> Bye. Was this trip necessary? Well, let's look at the facts. Nobody wanted this war but the Nazis. A great many people tried to deal with them, and a lot of them are dead. Millions have died for no other reason except that the Nazis wanted them dead. So in the final showdown, there was nothing left to do except fight. There's a great lesson in this. And those of us who've learned it the hard way aren't going to forget it. We must never again let any force dedicated to a super race or a super idea or a super anything become strong enough to impose itself upon a free world. We must be smart enough and tough enough in the beginning to put out the fire before it starts spreading. So my answer to the $64 question is yes. This trip was necessary. As the years go by, a lot of people are going to forget. But you won't. And don't ever let anybody tell you you were a sucker to fight in the war against fascism. And now, Jerry permitting, let us pray. <laughs>